Welcome back to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, and thank you for sticking around. Today's podcast is sponsored by Yes Pallets. Yes Pallets, the pallet removal, waste removal, and recycling removal company that places risk mitigation, OSHA compliance, and customer-obsessed service first. They can upscale at a moment's notice and remove barriers to provide you with a safe and clean work environment. Hey! Make sure you're following the podcast on social media. The Chris Williams Podcast Hour can be found on both IG and Twitter at the Chris Will Pod and on Facebook, the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. We have a very good podcast today. How many of you remember watching Roy Jones Jr.? How many of you were Roy Jones Jr. fans and had your heart sucked out of you when Roy got killed cold for the second time? If you can recall or remember 2004, it was a most traumatic moment. It was heartbreaking to see a legend fall. Well, I got the man that beat the man on the podcast. Mr. Glenn Johnson, also known as the Road Warrior, is on the podcast. Glenn Johnson has an incredible story about work ethic, celebrity, and the will and strength to fight anybody in their own backyard. He also had the resolve to ignore what other people, the masses, said or thought about his skill level. He was able to stay focused, focused on his own goal. It's an amazing story and you're gonna like it and be able to adapt some of it into your own life. Now I can talk till my ass catch fire. So let's get to the podcast where you will see the harder they come was Glenn Johnson's motivation. And ultimately, his belief was, you can't keep a good man down. Glenn Johnson is a good man. Thanks for joining us. This is the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. A good man down Always keep a smile when they want me to frown Keep the vibes and I stood my ground They will never ever take my crown Welcome back to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour And today I have one of the toughest and most durable fighters to ever put on a pair of gloves He is a two-time Florida State Golden Gloves champ He is the former IBF IBO and Ring Magazine light heavyweight champion. He was named the 2004 Fighter of the Year by Ring Magazine and the Boxing Writers Association of America, hailing from Jamaica with 77 professional fights. He is better known as the Road Warrior. Please welcome to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, Mr. Glenn Johnson. Glenn, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, man. Thanks for having me. What an introduction. Appreciate it. Oh, what a great career. You deserved it. I, it. It doesn't do you enough justice, that's uh, for sure. Uh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Not a problem at all. And so, Glenn, again, welcome to the podcast. And after such an illustrious pro boxing career, thank you for taking part and coming on to share your story with the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Now, the podcast is all about you and storytelling. So as well as shameless plugs, so please feel free to share any stories that you want. And you know what? We'll get this thing started. Talking about uh, you coming to the States from May Penn, Jamaica at, eight, at age 15. What was May Penn like, and what was your family like? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, May Penn is, is uh, uh, a little small area. It's, it's, it's very laid back. We, um, you know, as a kid, I enjoyed growing up in Jamaica, um, you know, a lot of water. So you swim a lot as a kid in canals and stuff like that. Run around, play soccer and cricket with your friends, neighborhood boys, um, you know, fishing a lot. You know, just those little things, outdoor, a lot of outdoor stuff, um, you know, being in Jamaica. It's not like here where... 
kids spend most of their time indoors unless you um you know you you play sports or something um you know but for the most part um in Jamaica you're always on the, in the on the outdoor okay okay and and what was your family like how many brothers and sisters and you know what what were your influences um yeah i mean i grew up i didn't have any brothers and sisters when i was a kid um my brothers and sisters are much younger than me um i think it's like a 14 year gap um i'm 14 years older than all my siblings so i have um a younger sister and a younger brother um but the you know the family is good um you know, my parents had me when they were young, and they take their time before they went back at it. And um, so I grew up as a ch- as a child, basically just around friends and uh, right. like older heads, like my grandparents and my parents and and uncles and aunts and stuff like that. Not a lot of other kids outside. Not not a lot of kids in the family. Just mostly friends. Um, that around my age group that I would be playing around with or um, hanging with or stuff like that. And then, like I said, um, when I get to like 14 or so, I have my sister and and stuff like that. They, um, so, so yeah, we, we're in a different group. This okay. Different. Okay. All right. All right. So you moved to the U.S. at I believe it was around 15 years old. So what was the yeah. transition like for you? Do you remember the transition you had to make growing up in the States, coming from Jamaica? And do you remember why your family moved to Florida? Yeah, well, you know, again, my mom, she she wanted um, better opportunities. If, you know, anybody know about the islands, um, you know, all the islands are pretty much the same, basically. Um, you know, it's a lot of fun and, and stuff like that, but opportunities um, are very sketchy. You don't have the opportunities that you have here in America to be successful um, in life. You don't have those opportunities um, in Jamaica. So um, my mom leave the island, come to America looking for a better life um, and stuff like that. So um, when, at the age of 15, she um, she filed my papers and tried to bring me over, and um, and I came. And the transition is obviously drastic because, like I said, you know, spending a lot of time outdoor and playing around with friends and speaking the way we speak and come to America, they speak completely different, um, and you know, have to get adjusted to that. Um, and, and you know, kids, when you go to school and you're speaking different, um, and you hear other kids speaking different, you're confident, go away. So you kind of um, withdrawn a little bit, trying to get an understanding of how to talk and communicate with your, your new surrounding and stuff like that. So we went through that transition, and um, after a few months, um, you start to get comfortable with your surroundings, and um, and everything starts flowing from there. Okay, okay, all right. So a few years later, you get into boxing. So and you mentioned soccer and cricket. So did you play any other sports, especially when you came over to the states? No, I um, I didn't have enough understanding about football. I wish I did. If I would, um, that's one sport I thought I would do well in. And I know anything about it or my family know about it and, you know, you know, would have talked me into it or, or, or brought me down that path. But that was never the case. So, but I didn't play any other sport. Um, when I got to 20 years, when I was 20 years old, I ended up walking into a gym because I was gaining more weight than I liked to have. So I was looking for somewhere to exercise, end up being a boxing gym, and that's where I found boxing. And um, the guy told me, the coach there said, if you live in the neighborhood, it would be free because it was a PAL, the Police Athletic League. So I went in there and said, well, 
free fit in my budget, so I start training right away. And um, and the rest is history, man. Um, you know, they introduced me to boxing, and I fell in love with it. Okay, okay. I was about to ask you, how quickly did you start, you know, living and breathing the sport? Well, obviously, you know, my my first compliment I got um, with boxing, I was hooked. So, you know, I, I like I said, it was a new challenge for me. I never even watched boxing before. And, um, you know, I started boxing. Obviously, I heard about boxing, um, you know, about the Muhammad Ali and the Sugar Ray Leonard and, you know, those, all of these fighters from back in the day and Hagler and, you know, Thomas Hearns and Duran and all of these guys who was the the that generation that was just before, you know, there was the 80s and we're talking about um, in the 90s. So that, there was a generation that was making a lot of noise at that time. So um, I um, I started to, to to box a little bit and started to, to fall in love with it. And I spar for the first time and I couldn't believe the, how tired you get when you when you um, have somebody trying to knock your head off, and it seems impossible <laughs> to me. And you know, I had to recalculate in my head and go back and try it again. And um, you know, keep going every day and keep learning. And eventually, I end up getting a compliment. And once I got a compliment, I was hooked. I felt like there was nothing else I wanted to do. And you just keep on working at it until the trainer said to me, you want to try the amateur boxing? And I was like, yes, I'm in for that. And we start boxing and win my first fight, win my second fight, and I lost my third. And then I just got way more determined and I started to work even harder and fell in love big time. And the rest is history, brother. Okay. Okay, that's awesome. Now, you you said twice that you someone gave you a compliment and that's when you fell in love. What was the compliment that you were given that that got you hooked on boxing? Well, you know, in when you when you when you grow up around my family, you don't get a lot of compliments. So, um when you hear that you're doing well, in something that that's that's huge because you don't get those things for any little thing you know what i mean so okay uh when my trainer told me that i was learning very well and he was proud of the rate that i was learning the boxing um you know to me that was that was huge for me because that was not something that i I hear a lot. So um, my goal was always just working hard to get another compliment, to hear something like that again. And, nice, um, nice. And as I work and as I go along, I start to get compliments from him and plus other people. And then I would go compete at the, at the fights. And then a lot of people would come up to me and, you know, congratulate me and tell me how well I was doing and whatever and they saw me when I fight the first time and how I look now in my fifth fight or my tenth fight or whatever it was you know so all of these things you know become um, something you want um, all the time so okay. yeah, okay. yeah I like that motivation I like that so and again you like you said you turned you were 20 when you started, so how fulfilling was it when you win these two titles in the Golden Gloves? Well, yeah, I mean, in the Golden Gloves, um, you know, um, it's just a lot of work and trying a lot, and and you know, by the time Golden Gloves came around, uh, my confidence was pretty high. So winning those those um, titles was was huge um shoot my confidence even further um you know better than what it was before and 
you know, at that time, you start to feel like you're the best guy in your weight class because you're beating all the guys that you face, you're facing. So, you know, as as a young man, it's easily easy for you to start feeling um, feel good about yourself. So, you know, that's how I was feeling about myself at that time. And then um, uh, my trainer asked me if I wanted to turn pro, and I said, "Yeah, man, if you think I can do it, I definitely would." And he said, "Yeah, um, let's turn pro." And we turn pro, okay. and now. Um, you know, we just start working and I win my first few fights and undefeated up to around eleven, twelve fights and yeah, my confidence was, was my confidence shut up. Okay. Um All for right. another level. Yeah. That's that's good. That's good. So again, you started boxing late, you win two amateur t- titles and then you turn pro. You actually win 54 professional fights along with world titles. So looking back at what you've accomplished, do you feel you're an inspiration to those who want to box but aren't sure about making the commitment, even though they're in a, a later stage? You know, because a lot of guys, they'll say, oh, we start out 10, 12 years old when they're first in the gym. But the, to the guys that start later and they're not quite sure of that commitment, do you feel like you're an inspiration to them? Well, I would I would like to think so. I mean, you know, a lot of the time, you know, I would be in the gym and people would come up to me, um, you know, they would be in the mid-20s or late-20s or early-20s, and, you know, they would ask me if, if I think it's too late. And I said, you know, you never know, man. You know, it's just, just a fact. You just never know. It all depends on how fast you can learn the kind of commitment that you have, the hard work that you're willing to put in, all of these things play a part. So, you know, you can't just let somebody else um, determine for you what you can accomplish. You have to be able to have some belief in yourself and uh, and go out and uh, and prove to yourself and others what you can accomplish or what you can't accomplish. You know, I still feel like I could accomplish more if I had learned faster uh, than I learned. Um, you know, I, I, if I would have started boxing earlier, um, I could have accomplished more. That would have given me more time to learn. I feel like by the time I start understanding and, 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 and stuff, understanding boxing and have the experience that I need in boxing to compete against anyone. Um, by that time, I was already too old in my late 30s and, and, and stuff like that. So, you know, boxing really takes you a good 10 years to, to truly understand it and have good experience with it. And that type of stuff can... Uh, can hold you back, you know what I mean? If I would have started boxing when I was 10 years old and learn, take me 10 years to learn and understand it, I would be 20 years old, but you start when you're 20, and by the time you have the experience and you learn and understand it to the fullest, you're 30, that gives you less time to, um, to kind of flourish. So, okay, you know, okay. Yeah, we have the whole world right. can apply learn how short of a time they can learn and understand what they need to learn and understand. And um, we can go from there. Okay, okay. Now, you you talk about the hard work. You talk about the dedication. Now, you truly were hard work and dedication because you had a full-time job and getting started late in the boxing, you were still making the commitment. So how difficult was that for you? Well, yeah, that's, you know, like like I tell um, some people before, like, you know, when you don't know exactly where you're going to end up in life, you know where you're coming from, and you, you know if that's not where you want to be, you got to have a commitment of what you're willing to do to get to where you want to be. And for me... I know that I wanted 
the success that I've seen on TV or I've seen other fighters having or I see, um, you know, just look around the neighborhood and you'll see somebody with nice things and, and you know that you want to accomplish those things. So for me, I always never mind work. So, yeah, I, um, I was working construction um, as a carpenter and work from 7 to 3.30 um, every day. And then I would leave from from work, go home, take a shower, grab my gym bag and go straight to the gym, get to the gym by 5 o'clock and, um, and train from there two hours, get home around 6, 6.30, go for a run, and come back and go to sleep and go back to work, uh, get back to work at uh, 7 o'clock that morning. And that was my life for... Um, about 20 years, um, wow. you know, because, you know, it just, it's um, it's a commitment that you have to make. I, I, I turned pro. I was an amateur for three years, um, then turned pro, and then took many years before you made any real money in boxing. It's not like, it's not like just because you turn pro, you start making big money. So I was still holding down a job and holding down my professional boxing career along with my amateur boxing career. So I had three years of that and then another 15 years of professional boxing before I started making any real money. So oh, I had wow. to continue wow. holding down a job. Okay. That, that is a heck of a story. So let me ask you this. So how would you describe what boxing has done and been to you? Well, um, I would say boxing um, is a blessing. Um, I remember before boxing from, you know, being a young teenager going into 20, um, I was a guy without, with very little direction. Um, with a temper and all of these things. And um, I stopped boxing and I got mellowed out, became calmer. My life had a direction. Um, mm -hmm. I had my job and I had a goal to become a, a world-class boxer and, and being a world champion. And that gives you purpose. Um, things that used to upset upset you don't really upset you anymore. Um, and, and, you know, you have a drive that got refreshed and renewed. So um, boxing has been a blessing to me, man. There's, there's no two way about it. There's, there's no way how you can downplay that. Uh, as much as it's been painful at times, when bad decisions, when you know you got robbed with the decision, the, the, the judges might have gone the wrong way. Mm -hmm. um, those are painful, but at the end of the day, boxing is a blessing. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, and let, let's talk about your pro career. So you, you touched on, you know, getting robbed, and <laughs> you've been in some wars. So Give us some of the most memorable fights, your memorable fights. Not what, you know, the uh, critics have talked about, but in Glenn Johnson's mind, what were your most memorable fights? Well, I mean, in my mind, the most memorable fights are the ones that people talked about uh, as well because, you know, the the Clinton Woods fight, um, that's very memorable because um, that's the fight where I won my world title. So you have to remember that. Um, and then after that fight, I got the Wright Jones fight, which is like the biggest fight in my career because he's like the biggest name that I fought. Um, 
so that's memorable as well. And then I end up uh, for um, Antonio Tarver after that. Um, and that, that series, those series of fights, um, that's what allowed me to win the fighter of the year in 04 because those fights came back to back and that gave me the recognition, um, those wins. So those are the most memorable. Um, and the, the, some other fights that I remember who might not be marquee fights like those, but I only remember those fights mostly because I, I was robbed in those fights. I felt like I won the fight mm-hmm. clearly. Um, and the, the judges went the other way. So, so yeah. But, yeah, those, those are my most memorable fights, the, the, the same one that everybody talked about all the time. Okay. One, <laughs> nobody would allow you to forget them. <laughs> you yeah, right. I got you. <laughs> I got you. You know what All I mean? Right. Because they are the most talked about, so is they are easy to remember, of course. Okay. All right. I, and I'm going to go back a little bit, and we'll talk a little more in detail about those fights. But you turned pro in 93, and four years later, you get your first title fight against Bernard Hopkins. So what do you remember about that fight? Well, I remember what I remember about the Bernard Hopkins fight that I was schooled. Um, that was my first um, time I stepped into a boxing ring and realized that I have a lot to learn still um, because, you know, I felt like in every fight that I've ever been in in my career, up until that point, I always was able to compete where I feel like um, I can beat the person who was in front of me. When, when with Bernard Hopkins, on the moment the bell rang, Bernard came out, he hit me with a body shot. I've never been hit like that before. And it's not like he hit me hard, but he just hit me right. Because he just right, right the correct time, um, proper timing, right when I didn't expect to get hit, um, right when my body was not prepared to be hit, and um, it was just very painful, more pain than I've ever felt before. Oh. And um, and then everything else that I would try to do uh, would not work. I mean, you know, it's just it just felt like. Either, I mean, I recognize now what I was doing wrong because now I have experience. But what I was mm-hmm. doing in the fight, I was telegraphing my punches. In, in the moment, it felt like he was reading my mind. You know, in, in, <laughs> in, in the moment, it felt like he was reading my mind. Anything I tried to do, he was able to avoid it and capitalize on it and stuff like that. But over time, I, I get the experience and I know what I was doing wrong, which was I was telegraphing what I was about to do. He was able to see it and he was able to make adjustments and capitalize on that. Um, but, you know, in the moment while it was happening, I just felt a little helpless. I felt like there was nothing I can do right. This guy was just reading my mind. He, was, he knows exactly what I was going to do before I do it. And he kind of start putting me into a shell. You start losing confidence. You start not believing in your capabilities and all of these things start happening right away because, again, I've never been in any situation like that before. Oh, wow. So okay. that, was, that was a different experience. Um, you know, but since then, um, I haven't fought Bernard since then, but I've sparred him and, and um, I made well of myself and also give myself the confidence that I need that, um, that okay, you have what it takes now. Okay, that, that's good. That's a great learning experience that you receive, so that's good. All right. Yeah. And, and then to move forward, 10 years later, 2003, 
You talked about this fight, the Clinton Woods. You go to the U.K. and fight Clinton Woods. First time you fight him, it's for the IBF light heavyweight title in Sheffield, England. So now you're the road warrior. You've always, you know, gone on the road to fight people. So that first fight ends in a controversial draw. Talk about that fight. Well, yeah, so what happened, um, the the um, the IBF um, wanted Clinton Woods to be their number one mandatory guy. So they, they because I had high ratings at the time, they chose me and him to compete with each other for the number one spot. I mean, I seems like they wanted him to become the number one guy because, um, you know, everything was set up for him. Obviously, it was in his hometown. Um, I flew over there. We went over there, um, basically kick his butt, um, um, you know, convincingly. But yet still, the, the judges... Um, found a way. I mean, they had three judges, right? They have an American judge, an English judge, and uh, I don't remember where the other judge came from. But the American judge, the English judge voted for me. The American judge (laughs) voted for Clinton Woods. the other judge, I think, had it a draw. So it ended up being a controversial draw. But it was clear that I won the fight. And, you know, I just don't understand why would somebody see you putting so much work. It's like they're telling you that your life is not as valuable as the next person's life. Like, you know, it's just a horrible wow. feeling to have. It's a horrible feeling to have. Like you go out and you you do what you're supposed to do, and they just take it and give it to the person who did less. And you keep mm-hmm. on pounding in your brain. Why would they do that? You know why? Why would? Why is? Why is that the way? How it has to be? Why? And it's just a feeling that you can't you can't explain. You can't, I can't put it into words what that feels like. It's you know it it's just like. You know, your family, your wife and kids and your life and all that you're working to support don't have any value. It doesn't matter. But this other person's life and wife and kids is way much so much more important. We will, he's going to win. It's just so hard for you to win no matter what happening. Mm -hmm. No matter how much you beat this person, we're still going to take it and give it to this guy no matter what, and it's, 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 not, it's not something that's easily described. And unless it happened to you, it's hard to know that feeling. But they call it a draw, and um, we end up the IBF hoarder um, a rematch for us to um, go back and do it. I don't yes. remember the time frame. I want to say it could be. Two months later, maybe three months later, we went back and do it. By that time, the IBF title became vacant. So instead of us fighting for the number one spot, we're now fighting for the title itself. So okay. um, we, um, we, we, we trained, we went back, and, um, you know, basically whooped that butt pretty much the same way. I don't know if it's worse or I thought maybe it was about the same. Uh, but they finally gave me the decision. I guess some kind of conscience came into them or something. They realized that it does make sense to do it to me twice. So um, okay. I came out with the victory. Um, you know, it was the best moment of my athletic life. You know, you oh, wow. trained many, many years for for this moment. You know, the, you're talking maybe probably, what, 15, 16 years of boxing by that time. So, yeah, it's, um, it was very fulfilling. Um, and then, then we came back to 
the United States and I came back a world champion and went back to work Monday morning on my construction job. That's amazing. That is amazing. So, all right. So you you get nicknamed the Road Warrior because you you never fight at home. You always go on the road. You go into people's backyard. You go across the pond to the UK, wherever, and fight. And fight hard. So that speaks to your character, um, how you would just go anywhere and fight anyone. So who officially gave you that nickname, and how proud are you to wear that? Well, unfortunately, I don't know the reporter's name who gave me that nickname, but how I came to have that name, I was doing an interview and um, the interviewer said to me, man, you fight anywhere. You're fighting people back here. Basically what you just said. You know, you fought in, in everybody's backyard. You go overseas. You're basically like the road warrior. And, uh, and when he said that, it registered to me. I'm like, the road warrior? I like that. So um, I went and changed my name. My name was Gentleman Glenn Johnson. That's what mm-hmm. it was before, and I changed it from Gentleman Glenn Johnson to Glenn the Road Warrior Johnson. I love so it. I love it. I was very, very it. proud of that name, and I thought um, I liked the, the the gentleman name, um, mm-hmm. but I thought the Road Warrior was better suited. Okay, okay, and and you wear it well. That's for sure. You wore it well. All right. So moving forward, two thousand four. You hold the title, and there's a guy by the name of Roy Jones Jr., and you briefly mentioned it, but he was considered to be one of the best all-time fighters, right? He was coming off his KO loss. So he challenges you for the title. Going into that fight, you're listed as a 6-1 to underdog, even though you have the belt. So try to recall the feelings that you had when that fight was being made and then leading up to the fight. Yeah, well, um, the I, I was supposed to fight Joker Zaghi, and uh, Joker Zaghi um, pull out the fight. Say, he, I think he said he hurt his hand or something, so the fight got postponed um, to a new date, and we we set the new date, and he pull out of that date again, and. Um, we, I just said, I just got frustrated and tell my manager at the time, said, forget about Joe Zaghi. I don't want to hear anything about him anymore. And um, he, you know, then he said, okay. And I think he's about two, maybe three weeks later, they came back to me with the Ryan Jones fight. And I said, yes, definitely. Um, I would want that fight. So, that fight came about, and um, uh, we stopped it here for that fight. And um, I know Ray Jones is a fighter that I always watch and always thought I would able to compete with him because I I understand the style with which he fights. And I again I would always tell like my friends and stuff when we would be sitting watching him fight and stuff, I would tell them that. I can beat him, and they would laugh and make fun of me and tell me that Rajun would knock me out and all the other stuff. So now here it is. I'm going to get my chance to fight him. So now I'm going to have to prove myself right or I'm going to have to prove them right. So I um, I really put hard work into into preparing for, for this fight and uh, have a game plan which I I felt like would be a winning one against Ray Jones. Because Ray Jones is a flashy fighter. He's not a guy who throws mm-hmm. combinations. He throw. He's a pop shot fighter. And yes. the thing about a pop shot fighter is they need to punch, rest, punch again, rest, punch again because they use up so much energy to throw one punch because it's a flashy punch. And I felt like if you stay on top of them and take away the recovery time, that would definitely 
affect them in a negative way. So that was always what I was talking about when I said I would beat Ry Jones. Um, so that was my game plan going in. So when the bell rang, I went out there and I went at him full blast and I wouldn't let up. And for the whole fight, I stayed on him the whole time because I, I'm never going to be as fast as Ry Jones. I, if I'm going to sit back and let him do what he wants to do and able to gather himself and do it again, there's no way I could beat him. I can't beat him at his fight. I can't beat him at his game. He's faster than me. He knows what he's doing better than me. Um, so I have to fight him at my fight. Um, and that's what I did. Even if I got knocked out, that would be my only chance of winning. So I didn't have any fear about fighting him the way how I chose to fight him. Okay. That's awesome. Now, were you still working construction when you were getting ready for that fight? Yes. I worked construction um, the, the, the whole time until after the Ryan Jones fight is when I quit working. Construction. Wow, that Glenn, that is huge. That is huge. Yeah. So, yeah, listeners, especially young fighters coming up, you know, you heard it from the man himself. He won one of the biggest fights in the history of the sport, and he was working a full time job in construction. So, anything is possible. That is awesome. That's a great. That's a great piece of story. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So yeah, well, of course you, you know, the, the reason the reason why I when I, I when I fought Bernard Hopkins one, when I got the Bernard Hopkins fight, I quit the, my construction job at that time, and and I had to go back to work a year later. So mm. this time, when I you know became world champion, I said I wasn't going to quit my job anymore because I jumped the gun before. So after I fought Ray Jones and make decent money, I figure if there was a time I could quit with some security, that would be the moment. So um, I didn't want to repeat the mistake I made before, believing I was going to win a world title against Bernard Hopkins, and I didn't win. And um, and felt like I, my career would have taken off from that point, and it didn't. Um, so I felt like without some reassurance, don't repeat the mistake. Okay. Okay. All right. And how did your life change after you knocked out Roy in the ninth round? Well, yeah. I mean, things have changed drastically. Obviously, um, I made lots of money with the Ryan Jones fight, and then I got a a, a, a fight with um, Antonio Tarver. I made money on that fight again, and then I rematched with Antonio Tarver, and I made money again. So I was pretty secure. So, you know, that kind of took me. Um, I still wanted to be in the construction business. I wanted to to buy homes and remodeling homes and, and, and sell them, which is what I started doing until the um, the the market crash and then once the market crashed that kind of set me back a little bit and okay. and um and then um you know we um we, you know we keep fighting and and went into into different um businesses and stuff like that but um yeah that that gave me the reassurance it gave me the confidence to um to walk away from me working construction even though I still had a, a business in construction, but I wasn't doing any of the, the work. Okay. All right. All right. So, and, and like you said, after you beat Roy Jones, your next fight, you beat Antonio Tarver, who was the first guy to knock out Roy Jones. So you, you beat two of the best in that era. So in your words, where did that put you as far as your place in boxing history at that time? Um, I mean, in that time, I mean, I felt good about myself. Obviously, I, um, you know, I, you know, like you said, there would, 
they talk highly of Roy Jones and, you know, spoke highly of Antonio Tarver. So for me, when I, when, when I be, because I know they don't talk a lot about me. Uh, most of those conversations was never about me. So all this stuff that they talk about Roy Jones, I take that for myself. All that the stuff that they talk about, anybody I fought, not just these two fighters, but all the other fighters that I fought that had a name going into those fights, um, that's what basically they talked about. So I always mm-hmm. took whatever they were saying um, that that was a positive. I took all of those statements for myself. Like, um, you know, they, I was getting those compliments because I know they would give them to me directly. So I took them for myself. So I felt good about myself, um, especially in that moment when I beat both of those guys. As far as boxing history, um, I mean, I don't really know where um, I'm, I'm at that far as that is concerned because, you know, it's easy for me to say whatever uh, because I'm talking about myself. But it's always mm-hmm. better when... Um, that statement comes from an independent person who is not in the moment and not speaking from emotion and speaking from facts. And I don't know what those facts are for me to speak from. I could only speak based on how I feel, which obviously, you know, I feel 100% about myself, but um, that's not what the facts are. So people who have the facts have the data to know the history of boxing. I know more about boxing than I even do. I know how to do boxing. Doesn't mean I know the history and all the facts of boxing history. So the okay. persons who have those information, they can do the comparison and stuff and place me where they think I belong. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> you beat two of the best, so you deserve to be held in the highest honor in, in boxing for your achievements. Um, so, but somehow, and, and this goes back to, you know, some of the decisions that you've been on the short end of. You get the short end of the stick and a lot of decisions. Is there one decision which stands out more than some of the others that just, I mean, it absolutely Sylvia tears Bronco. you up to your core? Silvio Branco. Silvio Branco. Silvio Oh. Yes, that's, okay. That's the worst robbery that I ever faced. Um, he won maybe one round in that whole fight, in the whole 12 rounds. Uh, I think I'd give him one round. And anybody can Google that fight and watch it for yourself. And if you see more than one round in that fight where you can clearly say he won, then I can clearly say I never lo- I'll never won a fight. Okay. Right. I, I, um, you know, I just can't see how, how we win. Clearly, win more than one round in that fight, and uh, for some, some way, somehow, they found a way to give it to him. So yes, that's my, um, my worst loss, and the one that burned me the most. Okay. Did they ever, or did you ever get the opportunity for a rematch? Was it ever offered to you? No, it was never offered to me, and we tried to get it, um, but yeah, it's um, it never came. Okay, and that that was a title fight for the I think the WBF in his backyard, correct? Am I correct yeah. on that one? Yeah, wow. you are. Wow. Okay. Now, did you ever want to give up? after some of these decisions, especially that one, did you ever feel like giving up, giving up and saying this sport is is just too crooked for me? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, come on, man. When when your heart broke so much, it doesn't matter what is it um, you get heartbreak like that doing. Um, you have to be moments when you just throw your hand up and say, man, screw this. But, you know, after you go home and some days, weeks passes, you take your emotion out of it and you try to be smart and you um, you have to just go back to work because it is the only the only way you will give yourself a chance, right? Quitting will never give you a chance. So there it is. And that's okay. what I have to keep telling myself every time I would get down on myself. 
and every time I would feel like, um, you know, they cheated me. And I see, I always said, if you quit now, you prove all the people who say you would never make it. You prove them all right, and um, mm-hmm. and you always thought you would make it, and you would prove yourself wrong. So that became my driving force to keep going back. Okay, awesome. That is awesome. So, looking back and maybe even forward, since you know you're 52 years young, like I am, what is the one fight that you would have made happen, or would make happen? Is there any uh, fighter that you didn't get a chance to face? Oh, you well, the, there's only two fighter in my era that I I I didn't fight. Um, and one I had scheduled to fight three times, and he pulled out of it, which is Joker Zagi. After mm-hmm. after he pulled out of those two fights with me that we talked about before the Ryan Jones fight, we had another schedule to fight after that, and he pulled out of that one as well. So we were scheduled to fight three times, and he pulled out of all three of them. So he's the um, one of the guy, and um, the only other guy that uh, I didn't fight in my era that was in the weight class is um, t- um what is his name Tony James Tony James Tony James okay. Tony became a heavyweight, um, and so and he was a, a middleweight. Um, super middleweight, light heavyweight, which was the, the the same weight classes that I fought in. But by the time I established myself, he um he moved out of the those weight classes and turned into a heavyweight. So um, those are the only two guy guys around that I never actually get to fight against. Um, uh, what's his name too from Canada? Um, he also I never get to fight against him either. Uh, what's his name? Um, John Pascal. Oh, John okay. Pascal. Yes. I never got to fight either. Um, but again, he was behind me. He was a, he was younger, behind me, and he, you know he also was in the middleweight division and came up all the way to light heavyweight as well. But I tried to fight him a couple of times and it never worked out as well. So. Okay. Those, those I would think those are the three guys, and I would love to fight all three of them, or any one of the three that um, you know, if it was if it came available during that time. Okay, you say during that time, but even with you know Tyson fighting Roy Jones in this Legends boxing, would you consider if they say, hey, Glenn, listen? I can get you the Calzaghe fight. I can get you the James Tony fight. Would you consider it? Because there's a rumor that you're still working out in the gym. So, well, I yeah, I work out um, all the time. Um, obviously, I work out because I mean I don't want to become fat and and um, and stuff. I mean, if you listen to the beginning of the story, it's it's. Um, is the reason why I went into the gym to begin with because I, I didn't know I, the reason why I discovered boxing is because I, I just didn't want to become um, overweight and stuff because I have a lot of family member who is overweight. It's in my family and it's something that I've been spending my life um, running from. So um, at 52, I'm still running from it. You know what I mean? So yeah, I train all the time. Um, to answer the question, um, I mean, if if those opportunities come, obviously, I mean, yeah, I would fight somebody that's around my age group. Um, you know, we're all people, um, you know, having some fun. I don't have any problem with that. But um, far as like boxing and going back to compete again, it's like, you know, twenty-something year olds and thirty-year-olds, um, I don't have any interest in that. Okay, okay. All right. All right, shameless plug time. I need you to brag. So you're a promoter now. Tell us about your promotional company. Well, yeah, the uh, Road Warrior promotion, um, you know, we we launched that. Um, actually, it's been in works since last year, but we actually have our first fight. January 23rd um, here in, in Miramar at the Amphitheater. 
Um, so, and it, it turns out Bert was very excited about our future. It looks bright, and um, the 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 show turned out great. We're very proud of it. And uh, we have another show coming April uh, 17. Um, it's supposed to be in the amphitheater again in Miramar. Um, okay. The whole reason for my promotion is because I'm also a boxing trainer and uh, training a lot of my guys who, um, you know, some of them, again, start boxing a little bit later so they don't have all the cliché. Um, guys who start boxing from like 8 or 10 years old and came up through the amateurs and have um, um, a, a, a successful amateur career and stuff like that. So it's kind of harder to move them. So somebody get behind me and said they, you know, willing to um, to help me launch this um, this promotional company and we we're very excited about the future of it. Um, I think I have some excited guys that I'm training, and um, now we have a platform to move them. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what the future holds for all of us. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So, are there any fighters, any names you want to throw out that we need to watch for? Well, I have a heavyweight. Um, uh, his name is. Um uh Akajuri is from is from Nigeria. Um is nine and oh with nine knockout. He used to play football for UM the University of Miami and okay. also played basketball for for UM as well. Um so uh, you know I would assume he had Pro um, ambition in those in in those sports, and I guess he didn't make it. So again, he's a guy who started late um, in boxing. Uh, so I've been teaching him now for about three years, and um, you know he have nine wins with nine knockouts. He's one of the guys that we we're pushing. Um, his name is um, Raphael Akajuri. It's a difficult name to <laughs> to pronounce, um, and I also have um, another lightweight. His name is Malik Lewis. Um, is is also a guy who is, um, you know, is he start boxing. I think when he was like 18 years old or so. So I've been training him for a while. Um, a very technical um, technical fighter. He's very smart. Very sharp fighter, sharp punching. Um, uh, he's two and zero, one knockout. Um, and and I'm I'm also training um, another kid. His name is C.J. Courtney Jackson. Um, uh, he's a nineteen and one. I've been training mm-hmm. him now for like two years, um, and um, he's also doing well. One of the guys that I'm, I'm his professional fighter. So that's three of the the guys that I have who are pro. I have a couple of other guys who are amateurs that I'm training. I'm looking forward to, for them to turn pro. Um, I think one of them gonna turn pro on the on the April card. Um, he's gonna make his debut. So um, yeah, we're moving and we um we're grinding. Shows us to the wheel and we're pushing forward. Nice, nice. And then, and then finally, how can listeners find out more about you and your promotional company? Stay in touch. Just follow you. Or do you have any social media? Yeah, you can always go on my Instagram, um, um, Glenn Johnson Boxer, and um, you can you can follow me there. Um, and then you have the Road Warrior Promotion. Instagram, you can go and follow the the promotional company there, um, and you also have the Facebook, the Road Warrior Facebook. Uh, you can follow us there. I don't have a personal Facebook. Um, okay. 
And and then my email is is glennjohnsontrainer at gmail dot com. If for any reason you want to reach out to me, you can always reach out to me there. All right, awesome. Glenn Johnson, the Road Warrior, King and a good man. Uh, Jordan Hanson Jr., he calls me the king of the South, so I definitely have to get down to Florida to check out some of your fighters and cover some of your events. So thank you again for coming on and sharing your story on the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. It's been a complete honor. Thank you, Glenn. Well, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Um, And uh, thank you and your listeners for giving me a moment to vent.